Welcome to this episode of Barrels and Business, the podcast for barrel chasing, business loving business owners. During this, you know, hour and so, maybe two, depending on the surf, the reef was pumping before. Reef's not for me. We aim to bring you an entertaining hour or so of tangible tips on how you can grow your business, how you can build your brand, how you can monetize your ideas, and, you know, a little bit of talking the shit and talking about the surf as well. Surfers so never talk the shit. I don't know what you're talking about. No. We are straight shit. shooting, never exaggerate anything. N- never, never. Never. The wave... The, the two-foot wave was always six-foot of double overhead, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I'm super stoked that I'm met today with Brett Odgers. Now, Brett and I, uh, this, is, this is the epitome of networking done right. So everyone <laughs> cringes, right? They cringe at going to networking events. And they're like, oh, God. And I can tell you from going to B&Is, and most surfers will probably be like, ugh. Being I a bit old fuddy-duddy, I used to cop a lot of shit about going. And I'll tell you, all those years of going paid off in this uh, this one, sorry, other B&I members, one relationship. <laughs> I'll take um, that. <laughs> you can take that. I, I respect this man so much that I gave him my best client when I left Sydney and, and um, got out of the recruitment game because Brett not only is an enthusiastic surfer, obviously an, an amazing musician, a thought leader, a book publisher, but he is also known as the culture coach. So when I had a client that was like, okay, we're rapidly building our team, we're growing and we want to make sure that we are world-class. I was like, I've got the man for you. And I think you've now been working with them for four or five I years, say right? four, year, four or five years now. And yeah. just actually doing some more work you know, I, I help them with their um, uh, disc profiles and, and uh, you know, a lot of what I do is just help them understand who their people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, because yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're in the building game, they're, uh, you know, they're straight talking, straight shooting guys, and they just don't quite understand why people do things sometimes. And so I come in and sort of explain <laughs> it and then we you know, we work it out and, you know, they're growing business. Like they are really in the middle of COVID, they are still growing. Uh, so yeah. they've, I reckon they've probably, or probably more than doubled in the last uh, year since you've introduced me to them. They're really going yeah. strong. Well, I, I reckon, uh, I reckon from saying that, I think I better reach out to Luke because they're avid surfers. When I first yeah. started dealing with them, they're like, we're going on a management retreat. Like, where are you going? And they were, we're going to the Mentawis and they took a doctor with them and, they have all these videos where they were learning how to stitch each other up and they had a dude that did drones for the WSL with them. I'm like, could you guys be any fucking cooler? Yeah. Like, seriously. <laughs> Their the yeah. water skiing is now the current... Um, uh, oh, that's because of Richard. Yeah, yeah. So their <laughs> team retreats tend, tend to be water skiing oriented, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, always to do with pretty the water. I love it, yeah. I love it. Um, Brett, before we, before I get you to do a bit more of a recap on your bio, I want to start with an icebreaker. Go for so, it. So I'm going to, I've got this fun little game. I, I bought these and I'm going to, Luke Farr, who was actually on my podcast, um, his episode came out just recently. We're challenging each other. We've moved on from the 25 day push up challenge. 
The new challenge is to take this box out on the street. Did you complete the 25 day push up? Of course I did. I did not miss a day. I I did them in my night in my nighty wearing a green face mask because I forgot one night and I'm like shit. But this is a new challenge. Can take the box to the street and ask random strangers icebreaker questions. Excellent. So your your topics, if you choose, life, deep, if you could, random, experiences, or would you rather? Experiences. Experiences. Okay. Tell me when. Now. Oh, this is so perfect for you. (laughs) What was the first concert you went to? The first concert I remember going to was the uncoolest concert in the entire world. (laughs) It was Cliff Richards. Now, (laughs) those of you who don't know who Cliff Richards is, he was you know, big in the 50s and the 60s, and it was this uber-Christian-y guy, and he went very straight, amazing talent, and he was an incredible performer. But I wish that my first my first concert was The Angels or In Excess or Midnight Oil or any of those, but it wasn't. It was Cliff Richards. <laughs> wow. Well, mine is the polar opposite of that. Right. Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. <laughs> I even made I even made the Australian footage, the video um, that they put out for the concert. And the funny thing was, Powderfinger with Parables for Wooden Ears was the uh, was the oh, support band. No, really? And, wow. Yep. And the night was topped off by me having to resuscitate an ODing fifteen year old. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, my yep. night was topped off by all of us getting on a bus and going back home. So I think we've got two completely yep. different experiences well, there. What's even better, I just remembered the story. So I caught a bus, I was doing work experience, I was in year 10. I was doing work experience at Mad Dog. Do you guys remember Mad Dog Surf? Yep. Yeah. So in year 10, I wanted to be a board shaper like any young girl would, right? Of course. And so I was supposed to be supposed to be going to Mad Dog to be doing board shaping, but the board shaper broke his legs. And so I ended up doing design instead. But I had to catch the bus to Brisbane and I came straight back on the bus after this mad night at Pantera and had to get off and, and work <laughs> in the surf shop. And they, it was back when they used to get all the Japanese tourists through the shop and everything. And obviously I have white, white, long surfy hair. Obviously not doing so well after a bus ride back from Pantera. And they're all, and I'd, I'd never really been in contact with Japanese tourists before. And they're like grabbing at me and taking photos and I'm like freaking out. Am I still still tripping from last night? (laughs) Yeah, what's happening? So yeah, Yeah. my my concert a little little bit more uh, heavier than yours, my friend. I can tell you, I'll tell you what, but since my first concert was so uncool, I'm gonna tell you about the last concert I went to, which is my favorite band at the moment called Vintage Trouble. Now, you probably don't know who these guys are. But when you look up Vintage Trouble, you are going to thank me every day for the rest of your life because these okay. are the coolest band playing the best music. It's just this amazing mix of classic R&B with rock. And as a live Ooh. performer, I have, I have never seen a live performance better than theirs, ever. Wow. So I, I, I'm going to have to counter only because the guys gave me the music for the, for the podcast. 
Have you heard of Tijuana Cartel? No. Oh my God, as a guitarist, you need to get all over them. Really? Their okay. live performance, djembes, trumpets, right. but the Spanish, the Spanish guitar, festival beats, rocking the, out. The name actually kind of gives me a sense of what kind of music they play. Oh, it sounds they good. Are, they are so good. So the top and tail of the podcast is actually from Tijuana Cartel. Okay. Um, but they are my favorite. I, I go out of my way to see them live. It's my dad's favorite band. Oh, okay. he, he just got out of hospital. They, everyone's like, what do you mean your dad put you onto this? I'm like, oh my God. We turn up at dad's house one day and he's like full jamming in the front yard. <laughs> like, because the neighbors, he plays music really loud all the time. And so the young neighbors were like, hey Rod, we've got something cool for you. Cause they just come back from like a gig on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And so they're like giving dad CDs and now he's hooked. So Tijuana sent me a whole bunch of right. CDs to say, well, that- to say get well, man. The, uh, the lead singer in Vintage Trouble, whose name is Ty Tyler, has got the most amazing voice. You'll just, you'll just listen to it and you go, oh my gosh. And I took my kids, uh, I took my, my oldest two kids to see uh, them live in Sydney last year and they went, they're really cool, Dad. And I'm like, okay, so if my 19 and 20 year old saying they're cool, I'm, I'm okay You're with good. that. Okay, I'm on it. We might be able to get might be able to get some more CDs for Dad to dance. To. There you go. Yeah, I think you'll like them. I think you'll like them. So Love yes, it. I've come a long way since Cliff Richards. Yeah, you've evolved. <laughs> I, I've uh, I've expanded my my music from from Pantera and uh, the Dead Kennedys since then as well. <laughs> uh, okay, so tell me what what did I miss in your bio? Did I did I miss anything? Dad, surfer, thought so leader, much. speaker, book author, culture coach. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what you missed. I started my career out as a nurse. And <gasps> I know, I, I really like helping people. I kind of went into medicine and thought, actually, that's a pretty crappy career, uh, being a doctor. Ended up being a nurse and um, started there. But it didn't really work out for me because this artistic soul in me just wanted to come out, you know, and, and science and nursing filled one side of my life, which is caring for people and, and the interest in medicine and physiology and all that stuff. Um, but it didn't really feed my creative soul. So that's where I, I, I fairly quickly got out of that. Um, and into the, probably the first phase of my career, which is, um, photographer, film director, uh, in the advertising industry here in Sydney. And so I, you know, I actually did work all over the world and, uh, you know, shot billboards and ads and all sorts of stuff and just met amazing people, you know, met royals and prime ministers and photographed lots of famous people and lots of not famous people and did crazy things like jumping out of aeroplanes, taking photos of skydivers and hanging off the side of buildings. So it's, the first 20 years hey, of my, my career were very creative, very entrepreneurial and a whole lot of fun. So you wow. probably missed that before I became I missed, more. I missed that. Yeah. What was before, more, I, what I, before I quietened down a little to become a business coach. <laughs> yeah. Before you like ra- reined it in a little bit. Well, Just I was even shocked because we'd known each other for so long. I was shocked that it took to... But, me going to urban surf to know that you surfed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see, I grew up on Sydney's Northern beaches and 
my, literally my first memory is is uh, surfing on foamies in at Whale Beach with my brother, who's who's a little bit younger than me, but we were mates, and so I just always surfed, always, uh, and I love it. And you know, one of my clients, uh, I I wanted to push him outside of his comfort zone, so I challenged him to surf. And it's not until you watch someone go through that as an adult and trying to work out how to surf that you realise there's this, I don't know, there's this, this um, calmness or this, this naturalness about surfing when you've been doing it all your life. And they look at us and go, how do you do that? You know, yeah. but I, I, I just couldn't live without it. You know, it's, no. uh, you know, I'm, I, I've moved off shortboards a long time ago, uh, but I've surfed, Shortboards. I'm currently surfing longboards. Um, uh, longboards and um, kite surfing is my two current passions. Um, I haven't kite surfed yet. So I, I decided I wanted to learn how to kite surf before I was 50, which is a few years ago now. Uh, and basically because I thought it would be really hard and uh, as I get older, I'm not going to be able to do it. Turns out it's not as hard as I thought. What it's like is imagine getting on your best wave and you're, you're carving it up and you're having a great time. But because you're on a kite surfer that's constantly pulling you, you can just do that for as long as your legs will hold out. So it actually tests how long your legs will hold out. Because once you've done, once you've carved up a wave for 500 metres, you can barely stand up, you know. So oh, yeah. If you take, take off at Snapper and find yourself at Kira, you can't walk back. No. So, and you know, then you get up on your average longboard wave, which is probably sh longer than a shortboard wave, you know, and you know, if a good wave's 30 seconds and you're like, I just did five minutes on the kite surfer the other day. This wow. is so kite My... surfing is, is really like, if you haven't done it, it's really a great extension for surfers, particularly when the wind gets up. Um, cause yeah. you know, the surf's horrible when the wind gets up, but, uh, but it's such a challenge because even though I could surf and, and uh, you know, snowboard and all, anything that, that is fun and riding anything, I'm, I'm into it. But kite surfing challenged me more than all the others. Even wow. more than I'd be scared of it because I, I've got a sketchy shoulder from playing football and that's always held me back. What's, what's it like? like yeah, no, it's, your, it's, you're not... You're not having to pull particularly hard because you're, you've got a harness around you it's on your and the kite yeah. is attached to your waist, basically. And so, uh -huh. so it's just always holding you up. So it actually looks much scarier than it is. Um, the only okay. downside is that if you jump into it without good instruction, you do basically have a V8 engine on the end of a string attached to you. And if you pull <laughs> the accelerator the wrong way, it'll take off without you, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Not, you've got to be a little bit cautious about it, but once like all things, once you find your rhythm with it, it's just a delight. It becomes natural. Well, I've had it on my list because um, where I facilitate the business course in Bali for entrepreneur resorts, we've got the genius cafes down at Sanua and next door is yep. the Rip Curl surf school and kite school. Go and do and it. every time I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the kite thing. I'm going to do the kite thing. It's when your head and rubbing your stomach you know that that like it's really hard yeah. to do both of those at the same time so the first yeah i know it's, <laughs> and and hold a kite and get up on the board um yeah so it'll take a little bit to get accustomed to but once as i say once it clicks 
it's less stress on your body unless, of course, you smash into a... You eat shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. You know, yep. but I, I make a point not to push too hard. Okay. Okay. I'm sold. I'm going to give it a yeah. crack. Uh, it's really good. It's it. really good fun. Highly recommend. And it's actually <laughs> it's love it. work, to be honest, because I'm finding paddling these days, my shoulders get a bit dodgy on the paddling. Because there's mm. no paddling. You just let the kite do all the work. All you've got to do yep. is, is, it's like a, um, a water ski um, bar. You've just got to be able to pull left and right. And it's not even, that, it's nowhere near as hard as paddling. Okay, so, so there's a guy next door an electric surfboard. Yeah, until I can afford a board with an electric little motor in it, you know. Uh, you've oh. seen the hoverboards with that now, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, $10,000 worth of boards, probably going to be hard to get past the family budget. You reckon? Yeah. Wife's not going to jump on it? Probably not. I like that you already know the price. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I already know the price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, let's do it really quick. What, what's your review on urban surf? So Mel uh, Melbourne's wave pool people. Well, Melbourne's wave pool was much, much harder than I thought it was. Uh, mm -hmm. Now I went with a long board cause I always ride a long board and uh, I, I, I didn't take my own. I took, I got theirs. I found it really hard to judge like too close to the break and it smashes you. Mm -hmm too steep yep. and too far out and it's not enough to get on the get board. On. Yep. So I actually found it really hard. I, I got up a couple of times, but you know, for someone who's been surfing all their life, I, I've never struggled to get up on a wave ever, ever. And I struggled to get up on 80% of the waves. So, so I feel like, oh, you know, I don't know whether that was me or whether that was the wave. Um, but it's also physically like, uh, you know, like, you catch it in and because there's a time limit, you're like paddling like mad. You get out there and I'm like, <gasps> and then it's like, okay, eight seconds, go, you know? And so yeah. I'm knackered. Even though I'm fairly fit, I, it, yeah. it really exhausted me. Whereas when you're surfing in the surf, you'd go out there, you'd sit, you'd have a chat, you'd just recover, yeah. wait for a couple of minutes and then have a go. Right. But this is just bam, bam, bam. No, so stop. Those who were fit and had short boards had a ball. Well, I um, I don't know. I, you know Kamal that was in Black Belt as well? He came yep. out to say hi for the day. And I had yep. my friend Martine with me as well. And they were like, oh, babe, you're actually pretty good. <laughs> the little hack was I had been warned. So I took right. um, not my short, short board. I didn't take my slater. I took a six-foot um Luke Studer that's got like 34 and a half litres. So it still had a bit... It's got a bit, bit of speed of, on it. Bit of, bit of speed to it, but a bit of, bit of girth. And I'd been warned about the takeoff and things like that. So I'd, I'd had yeah. the heads up. Now, I'm a natural foot and I, because I booked late, I could only get two uh, intermediate lefts. Right. And so up until... Way. Yeah. And up until two years ago, I, had, I didn't surf for 17 years in between my surfing. Yep. And when I was a kid... I rode a longboard and I could only go left if I switched foot. And everyone thought that was like my little competition hack. <laughs> no, it was me being retarded. And to go down a mountain on a snowboard, I go across natural and come back fakie. Right. So the, the only thing that worked in my favour is because I've been surfing in Bali and, and when I've been learning now, learning it like binging, 
I can do a steeper takeoff better on a left than I can a right because I can drop and pin, pig dog. Yeah. And yeah. so I look like I knew what I was doing because <laughs> I knew, I knew that the way, where the way had to sit. Falling basically. And, and I would pop up and grab the rail and, and go, Fuck! and then <laughs> where, where the guys that were really good, super confident, right? They're like trying to take off. They're hitting like nearly getting into the wall or they're too yep. late and they're not making it or the, yep. the steep and like, and then, you know, the more frustrated they get, the worse they get. Yeah. Yeah. It's because yeah. so, I, I booked a, I booked a right session and a left session. Um, yeah. and, and I'm natural. So I thought the right, you know, I'd jump up and, and the waves that I got up on absolutely brilliant. Once you're up, it's a delight. Yeah. It's that yeah. takeoff. So I think well, if I I wish... my own board and I had a few yeah. more practices, I think I'd be fine. But if you go there the first time, just expect to get wiped out 50% of the time yep. at least. Try to try to do at least two days. Like do one day that you just know you're going to eat shit and one yep. day that you're like, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, I do wish I had my Slater board because I found I had to pump heaps um, oh, okay. on the intermediate to like, because I was getting sucked up and the, and the other board was a little bit slow and I couldn't get one of the other sections and I feel like I've, yeah. if I was on the, the other board, I might have been a bit better. Yeah. And my other tip is... Take your own steamer because fuck me, it's cold. <laughs> it was cold. Oh, yeah. We were, even, we were there the day prior in February. Sydney, 38 degrees. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be lovely. And we get there, it was 19 degrees and cold and windy. Yeah. Uh, so, I had one mil pants and a rashi for my first yep. session. And I literally could not feel my toes when I jumped up. And <laughs> Even after I had a hot shower, note, note people, their showers are not hot, they're lukewarm at best. I came out and I was talking to these guys and they're like, are you really cold? I'm like, why? And they're like, you look really cold. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hire, okay, I'm hiring a steamer, getting a steamer. I, um, I, like, I love the concept. I just, I think that, um, I think that, I mean, I've, you know, I consider myself more than an intermediate surfer. And yet the intermediate waves really smashed me, the takeoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for people that are not as experienced as me, um, you know, it th th feels like it's sort of built for really, really experienced people. Uh, yeah. So I, I saw their reopening shortly and I saw that they're, they're actually built a longboard wave. Ah. Uh, yeah. So what's really interesting oh, about sick. it is that the, we got talking to one of the techs there and they've got 42 paddles basically. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, that's what produces the wave. And so there's all these paddles lined up down the middle and they kind of push the water. And they, depends the rate at which they push them and, and what order and all that sort of stuff that makes the different waves. So they can, it's not just one wave. They can, yeah. they can do it a certain way and the wave will build up and go down and break later and sooner and do all that sort of stuff. So I think as they, as they you know, become, as they start to work out who their customers are, um, yeah. they will adjust those waves. Because that, that's probably my main criticism is that um, I It'd think be great if we could be more book fun a longboard session. Yeah, like if there was a longboard session with a slower breaking wave and an easier takeoff, um, yeah, I'd bit be of a wall where you could get a walk on. 
Yep, exactly. Oh, that's what I expected. You know, I sort of thought, oh, this yeah. will be fun. You know, I'll be up. No, and, I was but, like pumping. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. it was an experience. I'm pleased I did it. If you've surfed, go do it. It's just yeah. really, really worthwhile doing. Every time I go to Melbourne, I'll go because yeah. because why not? Yeah. I'm like, just going to take Melbourne. my own board next time and I'm yeah. going to only do one session a day because more than one session a day yeah. just wiped me out. Yeah, yeah. And, and just make sure you have your... Give yourself a practice session. I yeah. do three sessions. I'd probably do like a practice session in the morning and an afternoon session or something or yep. like arrive if you had the ideal because you're right near the airport. I'd fly into the airport, go and yep. do a practice session in the afternoon. Yep. Then go go back to your place, eat everything, have a nice early morning session before the wind hits yep. on one day and then go back in a day or two and have another session. Yeah, yeah. It's that... that like you sort of go, oh, I've only got an hour, so I have to get as many in as I can. But yeah, <laughs> as fit as most of us are, you just can't sustain that level of intensity for an hour. Yeah. I could. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And if anyone's yeah. going, don't paddle near the wall on your way out because you get sucked into that chicken mesh. That's how I, I did nearly break a That's finger. slightly freaky, and, isn't it? Oh, I got... Yeah. I got there was another guy on a longboard and he wasn't exactly sure what he was doing and he got scared and then I kind of got pushed in. And yeah. next minute when, when the wave surged, it sucked me into the chicken mesh and I was like, oh. Yeah. Especially yeah. when it was so cold and because it's been yeah. broken a few yeah. times. But it's, yeah, stay it, away from the water. As I was going out, I was thinking, you know, for me, I sort of looked at it and thought, you know, those waves aren't insignificant. You know, they're not little waves even where they're not breaking on concrete <laughs> yeah breaking on concrete and chicken mesh and i thought that's a little nerve-wracking to you know to a paddle beside the chicken mesh and you're physically moving you know a meter and a half or something <laughs> yeah you know uh, i thought yeah so i i would say if you're a beginner maybe yeah. wait till you're much better <laughs> yeah maybe yeah maybe give it another yeah yeah. Or book the yeah. beginner session. Go and enjoy the real surf yeah. for a little bit, then go and do it. Yeah, then go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we've given, out, we've given us a good dose of surf talk now. Absolutely. What I really want to do, though, is what I've been, why I was so excited to get you on right now is you and I have been working in a little accountability group because we're in a coaching program together. Yep. And although we, we'd already spoken when we were down at Urban Surf and it's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. But what got me fucking pumped about doing this now is the new thing that you're kind of working on, this, this thing that you're putting out there. You've got the, the million-dollar author program, but the thing that, that hooked me was how to smash out a book in four hours yeah. and, and to actually have ideas worth sharing, yep. be able to create a ripple effect, have impact, be able to monetize. Yep. But for me... Um, people have heard me say, and I'm, I'm going to say it used to be, my biggest fear used to be public writing. Right. Longer. Yep. And the overwhelm, like everyone's like, oh my God, personal life story. Got to get the life story out. Yep. Like, got in a compilation book. <laughs> but the I, unpacking of IP and all this, I'm just like, it's too fucking hard. Like yep. I know I should and everyone tells me I should yep. and they hear the story and it'll be amazing. Yep. And I'm like, oh where to start, how to make it good, takes you long. Yeah. We're gonna have to, people lock themselves in cabins for like three months or yeah. I have a friend like me, I, I do my best writing on a plane. I have a friend that literally 
for two months, just got on planes and flew places, turned around, got on the plane and flew somewhere else to, to write, write book. their book. And I'm like, that's way too hard, Bastard. Yeah, now he's telling me I can do it in four hours. Yeah. So <laughs> the reason why I want to start there is I want you to tell us, firstly, why, why do you think people should have a book? Who do yep. you think should have a book? And yep. then, we'll, then we'll move on to... <laughs> the, All the rest of yes, it. it's actually serious that you can do this. Yeah. Okay. So I guess my story is once I got into business coaching and I was, I was always a pretty successful business coach, I started to see that, you know, you, there's a lot of us out there and wh whatever you do, whether you're in, you know, as you used to be in recruiting or coaching or consulting or whatever you do, there's a lot of competition. And how do you stand out? Now, uh, in uh, previous businesses, I, uh, and I'll go back to my, I, I had a wedding photography studio for a little while. And of course you did. Of course I did. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that was a progression from the film and the photography and all that stuff. It was really high end. You know, we did prime ministers, daughters and famous people and all that stuff. And how do you get the message out there to tell people you know, what you stand for, basically. Because if anyone's ever gone in to get wedding photography, you, you just know you don't know anything about wedding photography. You ask, couples ask what we probably think is pretty dumb questions, you know. And, and I used to think if they knew what I knew about photography and weddings and all that sort of stuff, they'd ask different questions. And I thought, well, I wonder if I educated them on what to ask and how to look at photography for their weddings, whether they'd be better customers and whether that would help people. So they'd look less deer in the headlights and more, they'd feel confident and they generally, they would be able to tell why we were twice as expensive as anyone else. And if we were a good fit for them. Um, and so then you, you've got a way to differentiate yourself. And we did that and it was very successful uh, instead of, putting in ads out in the, you know, bridal magazines with our pretty pictures, we offered this free book and lots of people wanted it. And lots of those people ended up becoming clients. So better educated clients made better clients. Uh, and we never yes. once had a bridezilla ever. Everyone asked me, tell me your bridezilla stories. <laughs> I don't have any. And the reason is because they just go, you guys so know what you're talking about. You even wrote the book about it. So on a wedding day, they just go, what are we doing next? What's next? What's next? So it's amazing that me and my team were more or less completely in charge of people's wedding days and the timing yeah. because of the level of authority that that had given us. So when I went into business coaching, difficult to stand out, I thought what I'm really good at is culture and team and leadership. So I'll write a book about that. And, I, and when I wrote that book, it changed everything, not only because... I was really clear on what, you know, the way I did things and, and how to build culture and, and all that sort of stuff. But because people would say, oh, you've just published a book. Would you come and speak at our group? Would you, you know, could you do a thing? Could we buy, you know, 50 copies of your book? You know, or um, uh, one person sort of said, look, I, I run a, an advisory board. You know, I've got a dozen people. Can I buy a dozen of your books? And could you come and speak to them? And then, of course, you speak to them and those people say, oh, actually, can you come and help us in our business do that sort of thing? And, and on and on and on it goes. Um, 
I, what I just found was when I had a book, I was able to give it to people and they go, oh, I, I understand what you're about and I understand how I can, you can help me. Um, so that, that was sort of the evolution of it all. So it, it so profoundly changes business that I think everyone should have one. I, I don't really care what business you're in. Um, I think everyone should have a book because it encapsulates what you stand for and it positions you as an authority in your space. Um, so, so it was a really interesting evolution. Uh, I've tried it out on a few clients. And so I had a client who is a trades based business and he said, I hate cold calling. And I said, all right, I want you to write a book. And he went, fuck off. You know, I'm not writing a book. Uh, and, uh, he wrote that, uh, he ended up writing a book. He's in fire maintenance, uh, which is a very dry subject. <laughs> he wrote a book around that. He, he pitched it to the people in his industry who are his customers. He says that that has generated more than a million dollars in recurring revenue in one city in Australia. And so I've gone, wow. okay, so it works everywhere. Right. It's not just for consultants. It's what's for, your, what's your most random industry that someone's written a book in, uh, builders of dental practices. <laughs> All they do is build dental practices and okay. they're like, let's, uh, you know, marketing's difficult. And I'm like, well, teach people, teach people why you've got to build dental practices this way. And so we yep. started on that, you know, um, I've even, um, our, 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 uh, shared client, uh, uh, Luke, his dad is in his late seventies and is working a little bit in the business. And he said, do you think you could write a book to capture, you know, his ideas and wisdom? I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I, I interviewed him and did that. And in four hours we created a book, which we're calling, I think the Geelan principles you know, which is just all about uh, yeah. wisdom of, of this guy who went from a kid from the bush to a very, very successful uh, business guy. Um, and what I love about what I just on him, what I love about that family coming through the construction, cause I had a lot of work in recruitment and construction and hire yeah. companies. And the, the biggest issue there was people, people didn't leave the business. They left the managers. Yeah. And with those guys, the number one thing was, people followed them, people wanted yeah. them. Like, yeah. and so yeah. that their, their clients could emulate the, those principles in their business, even though they're not in exactly the same company Absolutely. and you thinking outside of the square of how else you could serve the customer as well, because sometimes we're like, well, I do this and my customers don't do that. So why would they want to know it? Well, what yeah. else, what other knowledge do you have to share that would benefit them? And that, what's really interesting about that is, you know, uh, these older guys who are very clever and have been very successful, no one sat down with them to say, let's capture the way you do things. Cause they're like, why would anyone yeah. want to know that? And you go, well, you've been pretty successful. You know, people kind of in are interested in that. Um, the editor who edited uh, his book was so inspired by editing his book that she started putting into practice what he'd written. And the book hasn't even been finished yet. And so, wow. so, you know, my personal belief is every 
I, I think every 70-something-year-old who's sort of at the end of their career has got stuff that they can be teaching the younger generation in a format which is... Because uh, what I like about a book is someone can pick it up and flick through it and read it and take stuff away from it. It's not preachy, you know? It's not like, yeah. now, listen here, son, let me tell you how business was done in my day. You know, it's it's a format that's really... Uh, it, it can it can transport into all sorts of things. So, so I've got um, obviously lots of financial people uh, uh, writing about financial stuff. Um, I've I've got you know builders. I've got landscapers. Mm -hmm. I've got um, you know leadership people. Uh, I've got an actor uh, who's uh, I've got an actor who is writing about what directors need to know about actors. Oh, that's cool. How's that for standing that's, out? So you don't just go to great. A, How to get yourself to noticed. Go, hey, I've got a book that might help you, uh, Mr. Director. Uh, <laughs> that'll make you stand out. Oh, I love it. So that is super cool. They're really cool. And, and the thing, uh, there's a really, really interesting thing um, that's happened in the last two years. Because like your typical book, like this is one of my books, uh, it's 250 pages or something. It's a, you know, it's a regular book. We discovered... I must say, I love the feel of your covers. It's the yeah. randomest thing, but I love how yeah. your covers I know. feel. Matt Sellerglaze, people. Matt yeah. Sellerglaze. Got... That's the I've secret. I've got one on my shelf. I've got your blue one. Uh, yeah, the, the, this one. Yeah. Matt Sellerglaze yep. <laughs> is the secret to that. Here's the thing. My, my business cards used to be that, my velocity cards. <laughs> yeah. We discovered that... Um, the readership of your book and what readership means is the amount of people who read that book from start to finish drops dramatically over a hundred pages, mm. right? So a hundred pages or less, you have a 97% readership. At wow. 150 pages, you have 3% readership. So it goes from 97% at a hundred to 3% at 150. So if you're writing a 300 page book, 3% of the people that you, that take that book or buy that book or whatever, will read it. Wow. 97% of the people who read this little 100 page book will read it. So that changed okay, my Okay, this is starting to sound doable to me. I know right? you've been banging at me th about this for a, for a little while. So I'm like, I would much, so, so this is ego, nice big fat book, does my ego world of good. Yeah. This nice little book is good for readers. Yeah, and gets, right? helps them get shit done. Right, so if I said to you, you've only got 100 pages, we are now not doing the life and times of the universe and everything. We're picking one thing and we're going deep on that one thing. And yeah. that's the secret, because I think that, I think that I would rather have five or six or seven of these all on different subjects, you know, going yep. deep on each subject than have a three or 400 page book with all of that in there just because of the accessibility. You could just do it as, as a sequence. So the book that yep. you were going to put out that was this big, if you really want to do chunk down the chapters, which is going to make exactly. the readers want more because they also get the dopamine of finishing something. Exactly. And then they're more, then the lifetime value of the customer goes up as well. So I'm just thinking if you had like your landscaper event example, 
they buy the book on how to like what they need to know before they start landscaping and yep. blah, 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 blah. Yep. And then the second book can be how to maintain it. Right. <laughs> so then the landscaper exactly. come in. Yep. Landscaper comes in, makes it amazing. And which, then they buy the book. Authors do anyway, how to build a winning team, how to maintain a winning team. You know, yep. it's the same. We're doing that anyway. I'm just like, let's just simplify it and make it more accessible. So I had one yep. client, uh, I had one client who said to me, uh, this book I will absolutely read because I can read it while I'm watching television or on a plane. Um, this book, she said, I'll, I'll find it hard to actually get the time to actually do that. So I find these, if you're thinking about books, think readership, not ego. That, I mean, I'm, you know, be very nice to have a thousand page book, but that's good for my ego. It's not necessarily good for my readers. Yeah. And, and you've got to always start with the, with the reader first, the customer comes so. first. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Because ultimately my job is to help them get something. That's, yeah. that's the other thing, you know? Uh, so once we simplify it and once we know why we're using it and how we're using it, um, that really helps. So we're starting with the end in mind and working backwards and we're starting with some, some, you know, knowledge about, um, about, you know, how we're going to help people. Now, the other interesting thing is this hundred page book or 80 page or 90 page or however many pages it is, um, you know, people still pay 20 bucks or whatever for one of these then they learn some stuff in there. And Seth Godin, who's a famous author, said he thinks that books are the best investment ever because for 20 or 30 or 40 or $50, you could learn something that is worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to you. So these $20 books are actually got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of value. What's in that particular, that, that, um, the purple book there, which is about the million dollar author mindset, which is about, you know, how to think about doing books differently, um, literally has made my clients hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, so, so, you know, it doesn't need to be big to be valuable. It's the idea and how it helps people get what they want to get. You're absolutely, absolutely camping. Yeah, sorry, I've lost you a little bit there. It's gone a little bit crackly on the on the internet. Okay, just bear with the pod internet. What I'm going to do is stop my video if I can. Can you hear me, Brett? Yep. Um, audio, no problem. Okay, cool. We'll keep we'll keep you going. Um, so, walk walk us through how why do people get so stuck around getting out a book? Like, especially yep. like your I love the your, your construction people because they're the ones that you'd normally think are the least likely to do it. Yep. Where's the stuck, and how do you get them over it? How do you get yourself? Yeah, I think. Ev most people sort of feel like they've got something that they could put into a book, you know? So most people are, 
they've got some ideas, but there's a lot of um, mindset trash around that, which is the main one, if you're an Australian, is tall poppy syndrome. You know, who am I to write a book? Uh, what will other people say about this book? Um, are my stories relevant? You know, is my experience relevant? It's really, it's the classic imposter syndrome. Um, and here's, I'll, I'll give you the, probably the, the best tip is this. You are thinking about writing a book and you are expecting your peers to read this book. So let's say, I mean, in my case, uh, I'm a leadership and culture coach and I'm writing this book thinking, well, okay, other leadership coaches are going to judge this book. Other leadership coaches are going to, uh, are going to be having a comment about it. The fact is other leadership coaches could care less about my book. This book is actually for clients and the clients don't know anything about leadership and culture and they just need help. So instead of writing the book thinking my peers are going to judge me on this, I would say write the book just to help the people that don't know how to do what you need to do, what you help them do. And that switches everything. And that really does uh, help deal with the um, imposter syndrome because now you are, you are, um, your, your purpose is completely different. Have we still got you? Yeah, you do. Um, if, if drop, I have you a co-host, so you can keep going I'll, I'll throw it back on another line. Well, I've lost you a little bit there. Uh, so for some reason, drop line. Uh, I'll, I'll put back in another device, but you just keep keep going through this. So tell tell me how the average Joe would would get started. Sorry, tell me how the average Joe would get started with, with getting a book out. Right. So the next thing that most people really struggle with is this. How do I organise my thoughts? How do I organise my, you know, what I'm going to write about? Because when someone says, I'm going to write a book, what they normally do is they start talking about what they're going to write about. I'm going to write about this thing and that thing and the other thing. What happens is they're, they're worrying too much about the content and they're not thinking about, uh, you know, what it's going to help people do. So I've got a way of flipping it around. And for those who are familiar with Simon Sinek's The Golden Circle, he suggests that when we're marketing ourselves, we're very good at telling people what we do and some people are good at telling how we do it. Very few people tell, talk about why they do what they do, which is his book start with why in book writing. It's very much the same. We need to start at the center. What will people now know how to do once they've read this book? Then we start working out, well, what are the, what are the uh, main segments of this? 
And then finally, then we work out where the chapters go, where the bits of information slot in to, uh, into, the, um, into the book. What that does is give the book a really persuasive structure that organises your thinking and your, um, your arguments, I guess, uh, you know, or your, your theory uh, about what you're teaching people in a way that is more aligned with pe- the way people think about things. Because, uh, you know, I, I've seen many books that just are data, 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 and they're boring and they're difficult to connect to and they're, and, and they're the people who are starting at the outside. They're starting with what to teach you. They're not really addressing why you need to learn it and when you learn this, what will this help you achieve? So the, the second main thing is once we just get over that we're, we're not writing for our, we're not writing for our um, peers, we're writing to help people. Now the question is what specifically do we write about and when we start in the centre of that, um, start right in the centre of that uh, golden circle and work our way out, just like Simon Sinek does, then the, the way we write our book is completely different. Now it's actually a really cool, uh, easy to read structure that makes perfect sense to people. So that's, that's, I reckon that's the second thing. You know, Love it. who am I writing for? Now how yeah, do I organise my thoughts? Perfect. Um, so how do you put that into monetizing? What do you, how do you actually monetize it? So you're like, okay, great. People saw that I wrote a book and they're like, come speak or they gave me the authority, but for your average go for, for your landscaper, for the photographer, what do they do? How do they get it out there? How do they actually use it? Yep. So, uh, the answer to that question depends a little bit on what the business is underneath that drives it. So, for example, if we take your landscaper or your fire person or your someone who has a business um, and they need to stand out in their marketplace, they don't want to cold call people, they want to have a, a, a thing which attracts really great clients, then we use the book in... Uh, we build sales funnels using the book. Um, we uh, build sales... Um, uh, uh, meetings around and sort of the sales process around the content of the book. And really what you're doing is you're promoting the book and the business gets the business with it because now you're positioned as a trusted authority. So in that particular case, you're not selling the book for any money. You're getting the information out there to position yourself as an authority because authorities get to charge whatever the hell they want. So uh, one of my clients said that they were up against, for a big contract, up against another um, competitor and they were 30% more expensive than the the closest runner-up, still won the job because the client just said, you guys so know what you're doing. You just are clearly experts at this and we need someone who is just hands down an expert. So the price, so they've monetized it because they're getting paid 30% more than if they'd have gone with the other guy. Um, and so that's a common, a really, really common um, uh, experience. If you are in a service-based business, as in 
if what you provide is a service consulting or a coaching or any kind of education business, now the opportunities to use these books open up dramatically and we start creating a product ecosystem around what you do. Now, whether that uh, product ecosystem is, um, you know, courses that you put online, which are sort of um, that people do themselves and so you don't turn up to teach them, or uh, keynote addresses, uh, you know, like I earn a, a, a good living from keynote uh, speaking. Um, you know, for example, you know, if your book is about this one particular topic, you get asked to do a keynote speech on that. Well, a keynote is like an hour long. And they might say, well, that's really, you know, that's inspirational and it's given us a vision for what we need to do. Can you now work with a, a you know, spend more time with our team, you know, showing us how to embed this in? Uh, and so you might do a two hour workshop and then you might do a full day workshop then you might do a three month coaching program or you might do other things that come out of it. So uh, out of your book comes a, a total ecosystem of products and services, uh, just depending entirely on how you want to work. Uh, so for me as a coach, I really like being in front of people. I really like working with people. Uh, so I don't have uh, any do it yourself stuff. All of my stuff is somehow connected uh, with uh, getting some feedback from me or my team. That's, I've lost audio. I don't know if you can hear me, but I've... Yeah, so you can hear me. Oh, Jade is connecting to audio. I was listening to this. I was listening to this great um, speaker on, oh, there we go. I think we've got you back. Yeah, I'm going to have to lose my, lose my microphone and lose my computer. I've had some amazing, I think you've heard me on, on the Black Belt stuff, complaining about my technology and my new computer has gone back to Lenovo and my MacBook Pro, which is amazing, just all of a sudden, even though it's plugged into battery, decides to have a meltdown and it's been fine, 100% fine. Until the middle except of the podcast. Except for every time I really, really needed to film something. So I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry about that listeners, but at That's least- That's no problem. That's yeah. no problem. I, I was watching this, listening to this great podcast I was talking about, what if we saw these things as instead of failures, if we saw them as opportunities? And I thought, oh yeah, that's such a cool idea. You know, because we can't really, what can we do about technology? We can do the best we can. Yeah, and you've just got to roll with it and not freak out and not pick the MacBook up and like throw it out the window, window and throw <laughs> it, which is what I would love to do. Yes. And if my, yes. And if my brand new Lenovo hadn't just been picked up for the third time to be returned, <laughs> that's exactly what we're having right now. And if the Mac stores were, you know, all the things. Anyway, keep going. So, so what I was... Yes. So I was, gonna, I was just going to say one thing, the, the four hour book thing, I, I was sort of thinking about it and thinking lots of people say to me, I'd love to write a book, but I don't have six months to lock myself in a cabin, you know? Uh, and, and in fact, you know, I've got four kids and a wife I like spending time with and a couple of businesses and surf and bands and all that stuff. 
I don't have time to lock myself in a cabin in the south of France for six months. I just don't have time. And so just swirl whiskey. I know, I know. It's a lovely romantic notion that is never gonna happen. Yeah. So the, was it Mark Manson that, that discovered what the best what the best no, it was actually it was Vision. Um, Vision Lakiani figured out what the best bourbon to write with was. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he, I think I, I think it was horrible. I think he actually came away with like don't quote me, sorry, Vision. I think it was like Jim Bean Black or something. And I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah. And he's like, no, it was, I, I tried Maker's Mark and I tried the Woodford and I tried the this and I'm like, this was the one. I'm like, okay, well, you don't need there's to do that. There's all these no pictures of what it takes. Yeah, there's all these pictures of what it takes to write a book. And, and really what I thought was if I could overcome that objection of I don't have time you know, I'd love to write a book, but I don't know how, or but, 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 how could I overcome that? So I thought, I wonder if it could be done really quickly. And, and so what I've done is I've built this system. I still use the same template. So the same um, modeling structure and the same approach to doing um, books that I teach my regular clients to do. But instead of sending them away to, to type out and, and, and do their writing, what I do is I now interview clients. So I, they've still got to have the structure. We've still got to do the strategy session. We've still got to get all their ideas out. And then we've, we've got all their ideas. And then I interview them on those ideas. And we transcribe and we edit and we do all the formatting for you. And it's just such an enjoyable experience. And... And I wanted to put it to the test. So this is, this is a book that was written in four hours um, using that exact method, you know, uh, writing, transcribing. Uh, one Saturday morning, I challenged myself, can that be done? I, I woke up early. I started work on it. I spent about four hours on it. And by Saturday the next week, I had a book in my hand. Um, and so it's totally doable. Uh, we, we take care of some of the publishy stuff, you know, we help, you know, we do, uh, designs and, uh, we get it all set up, you know, so that it's on Amazon and all that sort of stuff. We do all that for you. Right. So really all you've got to do is a strategy session, a couple of interview sessions, and then you need to do a little bit of editing of your final transcript. Once you've done that, we do all the rest of it. So, um, and if we keep that, if we're aimed to keep that under 100 pages, so what we're talking about is 10 to 12,000 words thereabouts, which in my experience is probably about a 90-minute a speech. You know, like if someone did a 90-minute a keynote or had a 90-minute conversation, that's what we're talking about. Wow. Well, I was actually just thinking, I've, I was in a compilation book and um, I did exactly the same process. I, Remember I said public writing was my biggest fear. So yep. like, okay, I just, I, everyone pushed me to do it. And I said, yes, because I, it was the thing I was resisting the most. And my coach at the time was like, you know, you need to do this. You need to get over this. And <laughs> if, if you're resisting it that much. And I was like, so when they rang and they said, will you do it? I was just like, fuck it, I'll do it. And then I was like, what did uh -oh. I just do? Yeah. And, and the person I said yes to was a client. And I'm like, who's publishing these books? And I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? And I couldn't, like I was, the date was getting closer and closer. I hadn't written a word. Didn't know what the fuck I was going to say. Uh, 
And in the end, I was like, I just need to hire a copywriter. Note to self, you don't need a copywriter. You no. need a virtual assistant. Yep. Because obviously, me being me, I wasn't having anyone write my story. Like it, it literally was verbatim. Yeah. And I just, while I was driving to dad's, like I drove to dad's down and then zoomed with him and I zoomed like drove back with him. So yep. it would have been probably maybe four hours worth of talking. Yep. And he just asked me questions. Like when I said something, if it didn't quite make sense or I lost, he, he yep. lost me, then he would just probe the question and then transcribe the video. And yep. then the problem was, I think I had, I think I was allowed to have 3000 words. And then it was like, Oh shit. And yeah, the editors right. were like, then it says like, we have to make a whole book. Like, yeah. how do we get this down? And it was, it was really hard. Um, funny story with that is they, the editor, she's, she's um, Canadian and a little bit straight and or the publisher. And she wanted to take all the swear words out. And the editors are like, you can't take us the whole, her whole color is the swear words. Yeah. And they rang me and she's like, I've edited it. We've taken this out. I've changed these words. And I'm like, if you take the fuck out of the story, you can take the fucking story out of the book. <laughs> yes. and both the editors were like we can't lose her story it's yeah. got to be it's got to be in there and it it really it, you have to push back and I, I think what I'm trying to convey to people here is don't think what you think like for me I thought yeah. oh my god it's so hard oh it has to be so polished oh it has to be this oh it has to yeah. be that I yep. can't I'm not that person that can do that yeah. And don't be out by influenced by people that are, A, don't communicate to your clients. Yep. The amount of people, she was so shocked. She's like, the, the little old ladies that came up to us in the book signings at, um, in Barnes and Noble and in um, San Francisco, and they're like, could you put a cuss word in the two, like in the, when you sign it? <laughs> and my friend, the lady who was in the book, her mum, the first person she wanted to sign was me. And it was because I showed up as me. Yeah, and I think that's so important, you know, because, like, I think, I think there's two things. People need a bit of a structure. They need to know how to structure their ideas. Um, and given that, you know, I've made a career out of creative ideas, you know, I've, I find you can't just go in there and make shit up. You know, no. you can't just go, I think this will work. Like, framework. Need a framework. Need a framework. Get a framework that works. Um, you know, I've developed one that I think works really well. I'm sure lots of people have them, but have a framework and, and stick to it. The other thing that you've said is be you, you know, because a book is just, should sound like you. When, when you read Maybe it, you should say, yeah, clients. that sounds just like Jade. The thing, the thing that I find is because... <laughs> I, have, I won't name and shame, but I have an embarrassing story for some people where they turned up and they were coaching on something and they were actually teaching us. And um, me being antagonistic like I am, there was an incongruency in what I'd read in the book and what they were saying. And so I put them on the spot, obviously in front of 50 other people, 50 other coaches, and I asked them a question that they were like, oh, yeah, no, I've never done that. And I'm like, oh, really? Because this... Says says you do this every year. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Does it? Oh. And you should see, <laughs> like, can you imagine the ghost? And that's yeah. the minute, and that's the minute I knew who the ghost Frodo was because right. I could see him in the corner of the room yeah. going, going ghastly white. Yeah. 
if you're if the purpose of your book is not to feed your fucking ego and make you feel like Woo, I have a book on the shelf, yes, yeah. like whatever, yeah. then you're you will be interacting with these clients at some stage. Yeah. Yep. So don't think you have to show up like Joe Bloggs shows up in their book because you're not yep. Joe Bloggs. Yeah, yeah. There's, so I think there's two different types of writing. There's people that want to be a New York Times bestseller. You know, Seth Godin, Marshall Goldsmith, Tim Ferriss, you know, all those guys, that's, that's one way of writing. And they, it needs to be polished in a certain way. Still needs to have their voice. but. Yep. Um, that market demands a particular approach, but that's not every market. But you know, that's also their expertise though and who they are. They show up with that, that level way. of knowledge. Like, could right. you imagine me showing up, speaking like my, my writing being all eloquent and beautiful and yeah. ladylike yeah. and like? Well, one of the things people like about Seth Godin in particular is he is quite authentic and a little bit contrarian. You know, uh, so he he will be a little bit in your face. Yeah. Uh, he will argue with people, you know, and I think, so I think the thing is you've, you've got to just be you and that's got to be okay. You know, yeah. you've got to be okay with that um, because, you know, that's what you're putting out there. And you know what? If people don't like it or argue with you, you know, just wish them well. Thank well, you for your thoughts and they're not your that's, people. That's the other thing. And I want people, I want to anchor in on this because it's, it goes with marketing in general, right? And we're used to, we're talking about yep. businesses using these books as marketing tools. Yep. And what I love about Seth is minimum viable audience. Yeah. And so in all of my, all of my presentations that I do when I'm, when I'm presenting on um, using your personal brand or to, to fill your CRM or building a powerful LinkedIn profile or any of those things, I use a picture of Seth and above it, it says, cut the crap. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so in yeah, what I talk about, is it, your book has to have a push away factor. Right. Now let me tell you what a push away factor is in my wedding uh, book, which was called secrets to choosing your perfect wedding photographer. Right? It's a lovely little book. Got it up on the shelf back there. On the cover of the book was a girl in a $12,000, well, actually, to adjust for inflation, it's probably a $20,000 wedding dress in front of a beautiful, expensive car in front of a super premium um, event. Everything about that, um, that book cover said high, high, high quality and high price. Mm -hmm. So if you picked up that book and you read that book, you were not going to call us and go, hi, I'm having my uh, wedding at the Rudy Hill RSL and I've got a thousand bucks. Could you come and shoot our wedding? It has a push away factor. Yeah. And, and I think that a push away factor is really important for any author because, uh, you know, if you're not interested in, in pushing to actually use this book to potentially make a million bucks, you know, then, then we're probably not the right fit. And there are other writing, you know, uh, programs for you. You know, for example, I'd, I tend to do businessy, you know, oriented books. Um, I, I, I do do some life stories, but not many. Uh, but I know another guy who I, I really like who uh, gets people to write inspirational books. Well, that's, mm -hmm. that's not quite my scene, you know. That's, so I need a bit of a 
Like if that's you, go to the inspirational book club. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm more the businessy guy. Be who you're for. And yeah, don't try, absolutely. Like don't try and please everyone because you're just, you're going to do a half-assed job and in not fact, everyone's going to get in it. Fact, Stay in your lane. To displease some people. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, like, if you're like 20,000 bucks is too much for a wedding dress, that's okay. But, but we're not the studio for you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to waste your time with that. Nope. 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 I, and, we, we spend the same amount of time talking to brides and grooms who want to spend 20 grand on their wedding as the ones who want to spend $200 on the wedding. Yeah. So like, we just and, can't do both. And often uh, the ones at the lower end are either more painful because it's <laughs> even more important to them. That's where the bridezillas come from. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's so much money in it. Yeah. There's a whole lot of stuff behind that, but I think these principles should be applied to all forms of marketing. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yep. Or all, all forms of client prospecting always yep. be yourself but always be willing to, to polarize and you want people who nod them, their head. They know instantly that they're for you and yeah. the self-selection process. You don't want the tire kickers. How many, yeah. like if you think of trades business, how many of them have their time wasted? They, they go out and they do a quote, like especially oh, yeah. think, think of one of my clients, they do really big sheds and roofing and you used to have to go out to site and measure and do the elevation. And it's like a massive deal just yeah. to do the quote. Yeah. And then they're getting screwed on price. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather know when the price was always going to be the issue up front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting about um, uh, the, the opportunities that come to me via the book is that price is the last thing that they ask, not the mm -hmm. first thing. Uh, yeah. And I find, you know, I had this, I did this great job a couple of years ago uh, for one of the banks and they, they called me up and said, is this Fred Hodges, the author of, you know, playing above the line. And I, I'm like, uh, yeah. And uh, this was a state manager of a big four bank and said, look, I've, I've got a business banking summit and I think I'd like you to facilitate it for me. Would you be interested? I remember when you were doing this, when you got that call. Right. And it's, that's pretty damn cool. Right. I like that's the dream inbound call. Um, now that what was so good was, uh, in the end, they said sort of roughly, what should we budget for you? And I told them and they went, cool. Um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, no, we've only got half of that or whatever. They were just like, mm. sure, okay. And then yep. when I suggested a wild, crazy idea, like what I did was I bought in a band and I turned 120 bankers into a rock band uh, with live musicians in the room. And it was absolute highlight of the year for them. Um, and the state manager suggested that that, turn the culture of their um, organization, really, that, that one summit because of the way we did it. If you don't come in as an authority, they're not going to trust you to go with them out on a bit of a ledge. Because, yeah. I mean, if, if a coach is saying, hey, by the way, I want to bring a live band in and turn your, all your bankers into a band, that's a pretty big... You've got to trust someone to do that, right? And... And when you've demonstrated that trust through publications and they've read you and been recommended to mm. you, they've got that, you know? So I, I think it's a kind of a, for anyone who wants that level of impact uh, and influence, I think it's a must. Love it. So what, what would you say is the book you re recommend most to business owners 
that are looking to gain more clients or to scale their business? What, what book would you recommend the most? Gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, and I have an entire <laughs> shelf there. Um, gosh, you know, one of the ones that uh, profoundly shifted my thinking was called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. Uh, I know, you've never heard of it, right? No. Uh, Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. He's a very brash Wall Street uh, guy. And so what he does is he, he um, you know, has to pitch uh, IPOs and stuff to, uh, to investors. And he talks a lot about, you know, the psychology behind it. And he also talks about the importance of storytelling. And so in terms of scaling the business, this is a guy who's, you know, landed billions of dollars in investment. And he's talking about all the same sorts of things, you know, authority and storytelling and connecting with emotion and understanding who your audience are. It was a really powerful book and a a really enjoyable read, really enjoyable read. Um, Um, One of the things I just anchored on for that was the storytelling part. Storytelling is bigger and more important than I could ever, ever, ever tell you about. And one of the things that I've discovered is my experience in film uh, is very easily translated to, uh, to, to writing. And there's a couple of uh, techniques that I teach our students that we use in script writing. Because I've written a few scripts and I've, I've had one or two scripts reviewed by Hollywood producers. Uh, it never made it to production, but, you know, it got a look in. Um, and there's a way that you've got to tell stories. The, the thing about a business book or any kind of instructional book is that the, the heart and soul of the book is in the story. Yep. The stories that accompany it. It doesn't have to be the same story all the way through, but I think that uh, every chapter needs to have a story, an anecdote, a case study, because that's where people identify. It's just so important. So I think that for people who are saying, you know, I want to write a book and I want to write about this, this, and this, and this, uh, I think that think about the story that you're going to tell. It might be yours. It might be someone else's, but your job is to take the data and bring it to life in a story. I love this because it's even what I teach with LinkedIn profiles. I stalked your profile before we're going to have a chat. Um, (laughs) So too many people, it's like reads like a resume and and hopefully uh, none of our listeners and business owners are out there trying to get a job on LinkedIn. Yes, The LinkedIn needs to tell a story too. And your bio, it should be your story and your color of where you've come from and why you do what you do and who you do it for and take people on a journey. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't, and it should be first person. Yeah. It's your story. It's your LinkedIn profile. It's not a company profile. It's you. Yeah. yeah. And then if we think about that, then, okay, how does that translate across to everything else that we do with our businesses? The about yeah. section on your website, it should be your, your story. Yeah. It yeah. should be your story. It's a biography. Well, right? so I actually, I, not only your story, I think that every element of your book should have a story. Because yeah. it's what, you know, uh, if I were teaching people about the importance of goals, I'd, I always tell the story of JFK um, meeting a janitor and, and the janitor, 
you know, the president asked him, what do you do? And he said, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. You know, and the, just this little tiny story says, wow, NASA knew what they were doing so much that even the janitor knew what the goal of the organisation yep. and how he was contributing to it. The you know, story enrolling them in the why. Yeah, right. So I think, I, I actually think you should teach your data through story. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, uh, in fact, I think the more you can um, get creative with that in your business, it, it becomes a whole lot more fun. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I do client uh, retreats uh, a couple of times a year and we do, you know, a day worth of sort of, I guess, book work, you know, planning and all that sort of stuff. And then we have a day of what we call stretch learning. And um, it's always built around leadership and culture and all that sort of stuff. And so I decided that what I wanted to do was to put the, put the manager and, the, and their second in charge in an aeroplane and get them to land it. Now that freaked everyone out a little bit. So what I did was I found a flight simulator. So we put them in a proper pilot's flight simulator. We put them out of Sydney's airport and we put them in a plane and said, there you go, this is how you fly. You're gonna land the plane. And then, and then in the control tower, we, we started making alarms go off and things go wrong. <laughs> It was so much fun. It was like, they were like, you know, they were safe. They're not actually going to die, but they yeah. get to actually operate a real plane and man, oh man, did they learn a lot about leadership and communication and a whole bunch of other things. That story they will tell over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. So they learned. They learned communication. Through they the learned story. communication. They learned, um, deep concepts uh, of spatial awareness, which is a really important element of both piloting and leadership. You know, all I need to do, like if someone's not spatially aware of what's going on in their team, I just need to say, remember you were sitting in the cockpit and this went, this happened. And they're like, oh yeah. Cause what happens, uh, here's an interesting thing. The whole thing in the cockpit is that you've got to work out what alarms are going off, how to turn them off and, and keep flying the plane. A remarkable amount of people forget to fly the plane and they're so busy. <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, the control tower goes, oh, excuse me, uh, flight, whatever. Um, you're, you're taking a in the ocean, <laughs> you know, have you looked out the window and they go, Oh, you know, and they pull up and they realize they're doing something. So, you know, that's, I don't need to, um, talk about the importance of spatial awareness. I just need to refer them back to the cockpit. So that's yeah. storytelling, that's creative, that's, you what's, know, learning at another level. What's one tip or resource that you could recommend to the listeners on how they could enhance their ability to storytell or learn more about getting better at storytelling? All right. So on uh, one of my favorite uh, resources is uh, a writer called, uh, oh, it's just escaped me. Uh, it, it's called The Shape of Stories. Kurt Vonnegut is his name. Kurt Vonnegut, he's an old guy's dead now. He wrote uh, Hollywood films. So if you look up Kurt Vonnegut, The Shape of Stories, you'll we'll see... We'll get that in the show links, people. <laughs> in the links. It's about a three and a half, four minute video and it is gold. It will, in three and a half minutes... It will teach you everything you need to know about storytelling. It's right. absolutely brilliant. He, what a great 
he he um he calls them the shapes of stories so he draws graphs of the shapes of stories and the sh story shape i want you all looking out for is man in a hole so the story shape is man in a hole and when you see that what you're going to see is the way he draws the graph and you know uh you know the graph goes down the man's in a hole and then he gets out now that's every romantic comedy in the face <laughs> of the earth um uh but it's also uh most people's stories about things going well now they're not going well what did i do to get out of the hole and and what's the what's the tool yeah. we use to get out of the hole just understanding that will profoundly shift the way you think about storytelling Amazing. That's a great tool. Um, okay. So give me just say two or three other resources that you'd love to recommend yep. to a business owner who is scaling their business because you're a business coach. What else would, what's, what's the other things that you go, right, watch this, watch this YouTube, listen to this podcast, read this book, speak to this person. Yep. Uh, let's see. I would say, or do this, do this activity. I want you to do this thing, actually. Mm -hmm. Most people will go, I need more customers. I need to appeal to lots and lots and lots of people, right? Um, in, my, in, my, uh, in my book writing business, I need 100 clients. 100 clients, that gives me a million dollar business. There's a lot of people in the world. I only need 100 of them. So how narrow does my niche need to be? Like really, really narrow, right? And I've got, I've got clients in seven countries now, um, all over the world, you know, the, 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 the time zone is not a barrier. I just need 100 people who are really keen on telling their stories, writing a great book, and then understanding how to use it in their business. That's a very, very narrow niche. And I actually think the narrower your niche, the more yeah. successful you'll be. Because if I find that getting 400 people, minimum viable audience. Right. And so you need to build your product for this very, very, very narrow niche because it's frustrating appealing to everybody because there's a lot of dickheads out there and I don't like working with dickheads. Yeah, no dickhead policy. No dickhead zone. And so you just define who your non-dickheads are and, and build it to them. Now, those people are going to be grateful. They're going to be raving fans. They're going to be great clients who just love what you do and get great results. That's a bloody great way to turn up to work every day. How Instead do you... of turning up to people who don't get it, grumble and moan. How do you coach people, though, to... to as, as our, our coach, Taki, would say, to walk past the hundreds on the ground. Um, yeah. How do, you, how do you teach them to walk past hundreds or not have the FOMO? Or, yeah. Because a lot of it's coming from a scarcity, like, oh, no, but if there's millions of people, I've got more yeah. chance. Like, how do yeah. you get the mindset to change, to shift, to go deep, not wide? I think that's a really good question. There's, it's not a simple thing. Uh, I've... First of all, I think it's awareness. You've just got to be aware and do the numbers, right? So you've got to go, okay, you know, if I only want 100 people, then I have to charge X amount of money. If I'm going to have 100 people paying X amount of money, what's the value that I need to give that ends up being like 10 times as valuable? 
now, and I've always been a low volume, high quality supplier, uh, you know, in, in films and photography. And, you know, I'm not someone who wants 400,000 people. Uh, that's too much for me. I, I want to give really good service to a small amount of people. That is as valuable a business model as um, high volume, low value. And for me, it's easier. Uh, yeah. So uh, first is, are you happy with that model? Because if you are happy with, like if you want to be everything to everyone, um, you know, then that's a different strategy. Partly that's ego. Uh, you know, I, I don't need to be important to everybody. I love that I'm important to a small group of people. That gives me great um, pleasure. But it's also a lifestyle too. I, I, as you've seen, I have a lot of interests outside of work. You know, I want time to do all the things I want to do. And so I've got to build my business around that. So for me, I just think my experience has been the hundreds on the ground look at first like easy money but it's not. It's, You're going to break it back. It's <laughs> them, them very high maintenance clients. Like Now, when I say that, what I mean is someone who's not a fit for you, someone who you're not helping them, you're not in your genius zone, you're having to work hard, they're not kind of that happy with what you're doing because it's not right in your lane. Right. Yeah, so it might be money, but it's hard money. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, what's really ironic and surprising to me is that when you're in your zone, it feels too easy. It feels like it, it can't be this, like I'm just telling people this and that, and they think that's just amazing. And, 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 you know, the money is, is being paid really well and, you know, and people are really grateful and they get you back and, and you just think, and every time I try to go out of that lane to something else, it's hard it's difficult, it's time consuming. And I, and I go, I come, I'm obviously not in the zone. So yes. find your zone. If it's hard, if it's, you know, if it's just constantly not working, it's time to look at, okay, what is? Yes. And, and the thing is, I think commercially, I've got a hundred people a year. That's all I've got to find. That's it. You know, that's easy to do in the world of 7 billion people. Yeah. It makes life a lot simpler. And for, for most business owners, we can go deeper with that customer. So we, we know how hard it yep. is to get a new customer. Yep. So if you really, really drill down onto the customer you serve and how you can serve them better and think about, thinking about what the products you could deliver to them that would serve them rather than just racing around trying to find more of them Yes. and yep. make more lifetime value from each customer, yep. your life is so much better. Yeah. Yep. And you get to do more creative stuff, you know, and you get to turn people into bands and, and take them to flight simulators and do crazy stuff. You know, teach, I taught them to surf one time, um, oh. uh, you know, and so they trust you and they stay with you longer. And, um, you know, when you say, look, I think it's time to do this thing, um, then they go, okay. So I think it's, I think that, um, Mass marketing and mass clients, some people are really good at it, uh, but I would have to say they're pretty few and far between. Yeah. Most people are better at keeping a small amount of connections and yeah. serving them really well. 
And I think our, uh, you know, our global communications, our ability to do this has just accelerated rapidly over the last two years. And I think people just need to challenge their thinking. Like I've had hairdressers say to me, but we're just hairdressers. Yeah, but you've actually got space in your salon that's being underutilized. Yeah. How else could you serve that customer? I tell you right now, if I could go to a hairdresser and get my hair done and my nails painted at the same time, and I could combine that while still working on my laptop. Yep. You got me forever. Well, and, and I don't care how much more you are because yeah. my time is more important. Like I don't get my toenails painted because I don't have time and get it done. Would like yeah. to, but what else, how else could you service that customer while they're sitting there? Well, and, and you know, I think I've had the same conversation with a, a barber that I visit. A super cool barber. They've got a great style. You know, it's like, but all we do is cut hair. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, what, what else could we do? You know, and, and as I started to list off a couple of ideas, um, he's like, wow, I never thought of that, never thought of that. And, and this is the thing that happens that I really like in our coaching thing. All these people get on, you know, on in the program, doing their books, building their businesses, and they just, they think they're in this little narrow lane and then they get in and they go, wow, there's a, there's a world of things I could do with my book and my business that hadn't even occurred to me. Yeah. And they're starting to talk about themselves as creative, which is incredibly satisfying to me because I have a core belief that every single person is creative. You just are defining it in a narrow way. Yeah. Most people think oh, I don't draw, I'm not creative. I don't play music, I'm not creative. I don't paint or perform, I'm not creative. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a very, very narrow definition of creative. Take it from someone who's made a living as a creative. Yeah, and, and expanded that. So I, I really think that people need to, some of my biggest coaching is thinking about how can you best service that customer and yeah. what else you add on because there's always something else. Even if you're not the one, like landscaper example, Yep. You sell them the landscaping, but you can on-sell or affiliate sell all sorts of garden products, all sorts of home products, the yep. garden shed, team yep. up. Like, do you know what I mean? You can be making a clip on all of those things, even if it's not you that's delivering the service. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there is so much more you can, you can figure out for the lifetime value, but the customer's going to be happy too. Cause if we've already got the relationship and for me as a customer, I love one throat to choke. So if I can get <laughs> more things from one person, and they're responsible and I only have to talk to them and I don't have to deal with it. I'm one happy camper. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I think people assume that they're overselling or they're over, you know, the people are going to be pissed off if they make these extra suggestions. I actually think the opposite's true in that I'm like, well, why didn't you make these suggestions? Yeah. Why didn't you help me? If you um, know that that is shit and that is good, or you can get me a discount or whatever. Well, I have a pharmacy client that I, I work with and I happened to be in there the other day and got some antibiotics because I've got a little infection in my eye and he handed over the antibiotics and I got on the call to him today and I said, if I asked you to suggest three other things you could do to help my eye feel better, what would they be? And he said, oh, you could have had uh, these antibacterial wipes and you could have had this and da 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 I'm that, and just why an didn't you? Why didn't you suggest that the other day? And yeah. what he's not saying is he assumed that would be pushy or yeah. that I wouldn't want that. 
I think people need to assume that people want your help. So give it to them. Yeah. Or at least offer it. And, at least ask and the question, would you like some suggestions? As long as it's coming from a place of you actually genuinely care. Oh, if that was going to make your eye better and reduce your discomfort. Well, the doctor didn't any of it. If they'd have gone, hey, have you thought about this? I'd be like, oh, you guys are gold. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. I, think, I think people assume that there's already information like this in the world or that people don't want it. Actually, the opposite is true. People are starving for knowledge. They're starving for help. They're starving for implementation. And the way we know this is true is that Forbes uh, did a, uh, a study last year on the value of um, uh, online education, you know, in all its forms. Uh, in 2019, they, they said that online education as an in industry was 350 million a day, which is already a pretty big number worldwide predicted it would go to a billion dollars a day within two years. So it's going to triple in the next two years. There is a lot of people with access to the internet and video and who really, really want that knowledge. And so you can't teach them enough according yeah. to those numbers. They need it. They want it. So jump on, you know, the opportunity is here. Amazing. Now, I don't care whether you're a tradie doing landscaping, teach people how to, what a good landscape looks like or a wedding photographer or a coach or a consultant, whatever, right? People need your help. Make the assumption that you're helping them and then just go do it. Share those good ideas, write the book, do the thing. You know, uh, people, people will find you and start giving you opportunities that you never thought were possible. You'll end up in front of 120 bankers teaching them how to play a Johnny Farnham song. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love that you use that with your, with building team culture. Um, okay. So I want to have just our last thoughts. What's, what's one thing like that if you were going to make an Instagram quote tile, so it used to be the billboard, right? Billboards are out. Right. If you're going to have an Instagram quote, that's uh, attached, actually, your Instagram quote that we're going to use for this podcast to promote okay. it, what would it be? Um, the one thing I know for absolute certain is that you have a story that's worth sharing. So start fucking sharing it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I think everyone needs to do that. Not even, not even with the book, just with their marketing. Everything. Everything. Brett, Brett, what's, we'll put it in the show notes, but what's the best way for someone to connect with you? And I know we were talking that you've got a couple of simple tools, like a, uh, a 10 minute book planner and yep. very shortly you'll have your uh, four hour Book. The four-hour book process, yeah. So, where can we send them to be able to find that? That so um, you can jump on my either my Facebook page, which is Million Dollar Author, uh, and we've got a Facebook group, which is Million Dollar Author Book Club. So, if you just look up Million Dollar Author, you're going to find me on the. Um, uh, we've gone. We've gone out of focus. There we go. We're starting to get back into focus. Uh, yeah. You'll find me on Facebook, I think is probably the best way. Um, by, by all means, connect with me there. 
Uh, I don't use Instagram that much, so I'll be interested to see the uh, the Instagram quote come up. Your quote tile. Yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs> I'll, I'll get yeah. That get will be very there. interesting. <laughs> uh, guys, jump into the group because Brett is in there sharing some really quality information. It's also a peer group uh, where people are uh, inspiring each other too. So it's the free resources over there. Uh, if you guys want a little bit more of what we're doing, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and we will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for having me. Hey there, Barrel Chasing Business Owners. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.